As you've probably heard by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using BetMGM lines to make all of our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code THEATHLETIC. Make your first deposit of at least $10, place your first bet on any game, and claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. See BetMGM.com for terms. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Mississippi, New York, Nevada, Ontario, or Puerto Rico. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Available in the U.S. Call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY 467-369 in New York. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 1-800-981-0023 in Puerto Rico. First bet offer for new customers only in partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use bonus code THEATHLETIC and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic plus up to a $1,500 first bet offer on your first wager. Customers are rushing to your store. Do you have a point-of-sale system you can trust or is it a mm, real POS? You need Shopify for retail. Shopify POS is your command center for your retail store. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify has everything you need to sell in person. With Shopify, you get a powerhouse selling partner that effortlessly unites your in-person and online sales into the one source of truth. Track every sale across your business in one place and know exactly what's in stock. Connect with customers in line and online. Shopify helps you drive store traffic with plug-and-play tools built for marketing campaigns from TikTok to Instagram and beyond. Get hardware that fits your business. Take payments by smartphone, transform your tablet into a point-of-sale system, or use Shopify's POS Go mobile device for a battle-tested solution. Plus, Shopify's award-winning help is there to support your success every step of the way. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash theathletic, all lowercase. Go to shopify.com slash theathletic to take your retail business to the next level today. Shopify.com slash theathletic. the culture. It's four to six A to B, competitive excellence, and the brotherhood. The plan to win uh, has never changed. So the culture here and the plan to win is always going to be here at Ohio State. Welcome back to 4 to 6 with A&B, your Ohio State podcast brought to you by The Athletic. This is Bill Landis, joined by Ari Wasserman. Ohio State is number four in the first college football playoff rankings of the 2020 college football season, and it is a travesty that the Buckeyes are at number four. How dare they put the Buckeyes behind Clemson? Clemson has a loss. This thing's a joke. They shouldn't even play the playoff. The fix is in. It's a hoax. It's a fix. Uh... Oh my it's god! A travesty. Um, it's a nope. travesty. It's a sham. It's a mockery. It's a Travis sham mockery. Yeah, it's it's whatever you just said. Um, all kidding aside, it doesn't really matter. It's important to break down 
I know there's some freaking out happening about what this might mean in terms of what the message the committee is trying to send. I don't think the committee sends messages. I think they just try to get through each week <laughs> uh, by putting together the most competent rankings they can and then give themselves five or six more days uh, of not being scrutinized until they have to do it again. Um, but, Bill, uh, the question I have, because I think both of us agreed that number three was going to be the spot, and that seemed yep. to be the general prediction. Do you think that they landed at number four as a result of the poor defensive performance they had against Indiana, who checked in at number 12, or do you think it's more so because Ohio State just hasn't played as many games as the three in front of them? There were betting odds that came out on Monday that was like Ohio State like plus 140 or something like that to be number three, and I texted to you, and it's like, I would, if I were a betting man, I would hammer this, and of course I would have been wrong. Shocker. Um, I think it is some combination of all of that i give the most credit i think to ohio state being a little inconsistent and i asked gary barta people got people got upset about this i asked gary barta like what do you how did the ohio state's defensive performance factor into this and his answer was like oh we're keeping an eye on ohio state's defense and i tweeted that out and everyone's like are they keeping an eye on alabama's defense it's like yes i asked him specifically about ohio state that's why he said that i would have said are you keeping an eye on georgia's offense he would have said yes um so it's not a conspiracy. Are you keeping an eye on the sport of football? It's not a conspiracy. It's just me, Ohio State reporter, asked a pointed Ohio State question and got a pointed Ohio State answer. Gary Barter's not out to get your Buckeyes. Um, but I do think that that played a factor. The, he said, and it's always hard, like, is he saying what he thinks? Is he trying to capture the, the feel of the entire committee? Like, it's always hard to tell. He said the word dominant in reference to Clemson several times, a word he never used with Ohio State. And I took that as as they are monitoring Ohio State's inconsistencies on the defensive side of the ball, and they think Clemson maybe is a little more consistent, even though Clemson does have a loss. They kind of wrote it off because Trevor Lawrence didn't play. So I definitely think the unbalanced schedule was a factor. Um, but I think if Ohio State had gone out and like crushed Indiana or won by three touchdowns or, or four scores instead of one, that Ohio State might have been ahead of them, ahead of Clemson. Yeah, and I guess uh, reactions from week to week are expected when it comes to this, and it's part of the reason why this show exists. It's for entertainment, it's for discussion, it's to prop up the playoff committee, it's to prop up the entire process. I love it, you love it, I don't have a problem with it. The thing I don't understand is, as it pertains to Ohio State's defense, it absolutely cowered at the end it gave up too many big plays there's no question we both have questioned whether or not Ohio State's good enough to win a national title as a result of that but the last time Clemson played both of their offense and defensive lines got blown off the ball by Notre Dame Notre Dame gave up the most points or I mean most passing yards in the history of Notre Dame Stadium to a backup quarterback a very good one but a backup and Alabama has given up almost 50 points to another offense even though they've looked good since I think you can poke holes in all of these different things, and I don't, these different teams, all of which are ahead of Ohio State right now. And I don't necessarily think that it's wise, having fallen for the trap for the past six years, to continually try to latch on to keywords or buzzwords that the committee chair uses, because I think the poor guy, whoever it is every year, is just trying to get through the interview without saying something catastrophically stupid. Yep. And when they use the word dominant, that just might have been the word that popped into his head at the moment. And I don't know that it's an implication or a veiled uh, secret that he's giving away by saying Clemson is dominant when Ohio State's not. Clemson's not dominant. The last time they played, they lost. So to me, I think that this is more of a, a situation where Ohio State's only played four games. And as Ohio State continues to play and rack up more bullet and data points for the committee that they will continue to even out, 
I also think that it's possible that the committee knows that the Clemson-Notre Dame discussion will get solved once and for all if they play again or when they play again. Though I do think that it's possible that Notre Dame loses to a uh, five-point underdog on the road, uh, North Carolina on Friday, and then has to play Miami again. I-, I don't know. This isn't set in stone. All I know is for sure is that if Ohio State wins the rest of their games, they're going to be in the college football playoff. There's no reason to fret about craziness of four one-loss teams balancing out. And I know you made that joke to me. Ohio State always seems to be in the most controversial situations at all times when it comes to the playoff discussion. And of course, Florida is going to beat Alabama. Notre Dame is going to lose to Clemson the second time. There's going to be four one-loss teams ahead of Ohio State, and they're going to have a discussion. I still don't think that would be a discussion, but it would be funny to watch people squirm for a week. Yeah, Ohio State goes to the Fiesta Bowl, and four one-loss teams go to the playoff. That's not going to. It's not going to happen. It physically can't happen. Um, it's. I. I fully expect it to be a discussion. Like worst case scenario in terms of like turmoil leading into the playoff is. Alabama loses closely to Florida in the SEC championship. Notre Dame loses closely to Clemson in the ACC championship. And then Florida goes as the SEC champ. Clemson goes to the ACC champ. And then you have these two runner-ups with one loss and, and pretty good resumes. Um, still don't think either of them, one of them will, will get in, but I don't think both of them would get in over an unbeaten Big Ten champion Ohio State. That In that, in that scenario, would probably have two top 15 wins against Indiana and Northwestern, like Northwestern landing at number eight, I believe is where they are. I thought was a pretty was pretty good news for Ohio State in the event that you're actually left to compare resumes in that way. I think that could stack up as a pretty nice win for Ohio State. Indi- Indiana too. Indiana's twelfth has a chance to move up because it still plays Wisconsin and will probably play Iowa if it beats Wisconsin um, in that championship weekend in, in the second place game. Uh, Indiana's got a chance to move into the top ten. So Ohio State's resume, while they were quick to point out that the record of its other three wins combined is 2-12, and 12, uh, which is fair to point out, um, at the end is going to have two pretty nice data points, I think, with Indiana and Northwestern, which like is crazy to say out loud. Thank but God for Indiana and Northwestern. It's like absurd but. to say out loud, but that's like that's the case. That's what's going to happen this year. Yeah, I don't know that Ohio State needs any, any data points. Uh, the thing I want to know... It's good to have them, obviously, but if you don't lose, then it doesn't matter what your data points yeah. are. You're, you're, in a world too. I, I have I've taken some exceptions to the way that they ranked some teams this Georgia. year, and I just wanted to get your take on it. One, Georgia at number nine at five and two makes zero sense. Um, two, I think that the teams that have been uh, unfortunately put in a position where they haven't played a lot of games were punished. I don't know if you agree with that take, but. Number three, number eighteen, USC at three and zero. Number fifteen, Oregon at three and zero. I think that those are a little bit too low, uh, considering the fact that they're still technically alive in the race to make the final four. Um, I thought Wisconsin was weird. Like Wisconsin is Wisconsin smacked Illinois yeah. and Michigan and then lost to Northwestern and is sixteenth. <laughs> I don't, I don't understand that. And ahead of other teams that are unbeaten and have played the same amount of games. And I understand that. Not looking good. Like, USC almost lost to Arizona and Arizona State, and I can't stress enough how embarrassing that should be for a program that is as talented as them. But it's not worse than losing. Right. <laughs> like, I think that the, – and, the, and I think that my gut feeling about this playoff situation, I don't think Ohio State's number four because their defense looked poor um, against Indiana because the three teams in front of them also had poor, 
performances on their defensive side of the ball. I think that they are being punished in part because they haven't played as many games as the teams in front of them. Um, Two played eight, one played seven. So I, I think that it's interesting that the teams that haven't played as many games are being punished. And yes, Wisconsin kind of throws a curveball in there because they haven't played any games and they've also lost and they're still ahead of USC. Um, but I just don't know that I think that you should be punished more for not playing as many games as you should for, be, for having lost. And it's like, what's a more impressive record to you, Bill? Five and two or three and oh? Uh, three and oh, I guess. I mean, that means that you're like rewarding a team for going two and two, and any team that goes two and two in any four game stretch in the season shouldn't be awarded for anything. Yeah. That's not good. That's bad. It's hard. It's so, hard because like Oregon's three and oh, and I think a lot of people think Oregon's really good. But Oregon beat Stanford without its quarterback, beat UCLA without its quarterback. Um and like the or the UCLA game was close. And it had like I think UCLA was missing a couple guys because of COVID and that game was still close. So it's like they have a little bit of an uneven performance and I almost feel like you have to like try to put your put that team in like the position of a team like Georgia. And like if Oregon had to play Georgia's schedule up to this point, which means it had to play Florida and Alabama, I don't know. I think the results will be pretty similar. So it's kind of hard to parse through all that. All that said, Georgia with two double digit losses and one win against a team with a winning record should not be in the top ten. I mean, but when you play that game, Bill, and then I like what you're saying, and I think you have to do that sort of thing, putting Oregon in Georgia's shoes. What would hypothetically happen? But I think what has happened is more important than what would have. I think you could put the hypothetical discussion at the end of the road when all the data points have come to an end, and that might be the only thing you can rely on to make your decision. But while we still have concrete evidence, concrete evidence is that Georgia's lost two out of their seven games and Oregon is undefeated. And if Oregon sucks or they're not as good as we think they are, then eventually it's going to matter when they lose, and then you can reorganize it then. You know, And that's the way that... You were voting in the AP poll when you were voting in the AP poll. That's the way Doug used to vote in the AP poll. Use the data that we have at our disposal right now. Rank them based on the data that we have right now. And then let results change your mind as we go there. So, like, I think there's a lot of matchups right now that you could make and say, do you think BYU could beat Alabama? Maybe not. Maybe that's why one's number one and one's number 14. Do you think Indiana could beat Texas A&M? Probably not. But do you think that... um, Northwestern would beat Georgia? God, Maybe not. I would hate to watch that game. It's like 10-3 score of that game. Yeah. Does any does anybody think that like Northwestern would beat every other team that's ranked behind it? Like the hypothetical game I think is kind of an interesting dynamic. Yeah, North I think if Northwestern gets on the field with anybody in the top 15, Northwestern is the underdog, right? I don't know. Is is Northwestern the underdog if they play Iowa State? Probably. Are they an underdog against BYU? Ooh, I want to watch that game. Uh, neutral field, no, probably not. Maybe that's close to a pick, but like I, Zach Wilson against that defense, I'd love that. Let's expand the playoffs Land- to 16 teams. It's it's unfortunate because Cincinnati's game this weekend got canceled because of COVID. Yeah. And that now kind of, I think, puts the X on the potential of Cincinnati and BYU both scheduling a game for their open week on December 5th to give each team another data point and maybe the best group of five game that we could possibly make. And it's just such a shame because this year we came into the season talking about how it was important to embrace the weirdness. Uh, we knew that when the playoffs came out and the rankings came out, there'd be three and O teams and there'd be eight and O teams and there'd be five and two teams and there'd be two and one teams. 
But this year we have been given the gift of an expanded playoff um, in the sense that the Pac-12 has opened its doors to allow their teams to schedule games to like make up for games out of the conference. So you know what that means? That means that we can make, with the context of the games that have already happened, we can make our own new schedule of games we'd want to mm-hmm. see. Usually when you schedule games, you schedule them 10 years in advance or two years in advance or three years in advance. Right now, we have the gift of saying these are the three undefeated group of five teams or the two undefeated group of five teams. Let's let them play now. And to me, that is almost an expanded version of the playoff because you're allowing yourself to see matchups that you hypothetically wouldn't have been able to see in a normal year because you can't change things. This year, you can change things. I think Oregon should be should be scheduling BYU. I think BYU should be playing anybody who wants to play them. I think Cincinnati should be playing BYU if that was possible. I think that it's possible to create a extended, expanded playoff this year by creating matchups with teams who are available when games get canceled. And it's like right there for the taking, and I hope that depending on how things map out in, in December, we might be able to get a version of that because there are so many matchups that I'd want to see that we might be able to see if things don't go the right way. And I also think, too, that they if I were the commissioner of the world, I would make an open game for BYU and Cincinnati to determine the group of five champion. And then I would force the Pac-12 champion to play whoever that is for the fourth spot in the playoff. Hmm. That would give the Pac-12 champion an extra win in a seven-game season, including their conference championship game, and then it would legitimize either one or the other as a potential playoff spot. And I think it's possible to do that sort of thing. It is this year. This is like the only year that Yeah, it's like the weirdest year that could be possible to do it. Everybody would watch it. TV wants it. We want it. The sport wants it. The playoff committee wants it as a data point. Who doesn't want that? Give the people what they want. We're uh, we're going to talk uh, a lot about Ohio State recruiting in this episode, I promise. We, we said that last episode, we're going to do it. But I have one more question for you before we move on to that. If you were Cincinnati, would you would you rather – Cincinnati is going to play Tulsa, which is ranked, and then it's probably going to play Tulsa again in the ACC championship, which kind of stinks. Um, I think that's how it's broken down anyway. Yeah. Um, if you're Cincinnati, would you rather try to schedule BYU or – not play that game where I guess you could risk a loss and just hope for carnage in front of you. I think that if you're a group of five team, you need to bend over backwards at every single scenario to put any scheduled game or any game on your schedule that can legitimize you. Any place, anywhere, anytime, right? Right, Zach Wilson? Put the headband on and do it. This week. And I don't care. I don't care if it's inconvenience. I don't care if you are got to go on the road. I don't care... Um, if it's not fair, if you want to be a legitimate playoff contender, you have to bend over backwards to do whatever you can to get those data points. And UCF and Florida tried to schedule a 2-1, and one and UCF didn't want to do it because they didn't want to do a 2-1. and one. No, that's not the circumstance. You're not a Power 5 team. It sucks that it's not equitable and it's not fair. you got to make that schedule because you have so much to gain by playing them. And if you don't want to do it because it's not fair, then you're just putting yourself in a position where you get to brag about your no losses and you have no way of legitimizing yourself, which might be what they want. But if you're BYU, you schedule that Washington game, even if you know it's going to get pulled out from under you three days later, because you have nothing to lose. And you also send a message to the committee and to the world that you do mean what you say, which is anybody, anywhere, anytime. And what do you lose if that game gets pulled out from underneath you? Three days of practice during a bye week? 
Like, you have nothing to lose. Schedule the game. If you have a game that you can play and it's reasonable and both sides are talking about it, do it. There's no, there's no reason not to. It might suck because it's not fair, but you got to do what you got to do when you're the underdog. We got you all fired up talking about the playoff. Now we're going to talk about recruiting. This might be the hottest you've ever, ever been on an episode of 4 to 6 with A&B. I got to put on my Apple Watch and track my heart rate here. <laughs> Looking for an assist with your credit card but can't get a hold of anyone? Luckily, with 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service from Discover, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, you heard that right. You can talk to a real human and customer service at any time. Sounds like a real game changer if you ask us. Make the right call and get the service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. And now two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. All right, we're, uh, what are we, three weeks from when the class of 2021 is going to sign. Not not much has happened with that class, and I think it, we pretty much know where all that stands. They're looking to add JT Tuimaloao, Emeka Ibuka. Maybe they try to make a late run at someone like Rayshon Davis, but that class is mostly done. Um, it's the 2022 class that's, that's made the noise over the last week or so, or two weeks or whatever it is and last week we didn't talk about this much ohio state gets a commitment from quinn ewers five-star quarterback number two overall player in the class number one quarterback in the class basically right on the heels of that five-star receiver caleb burton also from texas commits to ohio state there are rumblings smoke whatever you want to call it that they're going to get another top 100 receiver from texas soon um a kid who was uh considered a package deal i guess with quinn ewers Armani Winfield, um, that's going to happen. So Ohio State is still really good at recruiting quarterbacks and receivers, Ari. This is absurd. It's absurd. And I don't even know, like, there's so many different angles to this, Bill, and, you know, we talked about this for the last five years of how Ohio State is raiding Texas, and it's been continually happening. But it's not even just where they're getting them from, it's the quantity in which they're getting them. And I wrote uh, a column on... Monday evening after Burton committed and I kind of broke it down like if you were to go back to the 2019 class and you were to take all the quarterbacks and receivers most of them because I couldn't fit all the receivers they've gotten (laughs) into the story how many other teams in the Big Ten could you make as a legitimate conference title contender and let me tell you how I broke it down Um, I broke it down by splitting up two players one quarterback one uh, receiver for every team. So one team in the Big Ten gets Jack Miller and Jackson Smith and the Jigba. One team gets C.J. Stroud and Julian Fleming, who is Maurice Claret all of a sudden. Kyle McCord and Caleb Burton go to another team, and Quinn Ewers and Garrett Wilson, uh, both of which are uh, Texas-born, uh, go to another team. And it, and it just like, if you were to spread the wealth around from the three or four classes that we're talking about, and put it around the Big Ten. Do you make this the best conference in college football? Before I answer that question, can I ask you a question? Yeah, sure. You get to pick one of those pairs. Which one are you picking? Quinn Ewers and Garrett yeah, Wilson. Okay. 
yeah, if you spread that wealth around the Big Ten, yes. If you put uh, four potential first-round quarterbacks, and like I know that's kind of crazy to say because they're all very young, but that's what they that's what they are. Maybe not Jack Miller, but he's really good too. Um, spread those around the league, and then spread like four first-round corners around the league to go with those quarterbacks. Yeah, it becomes the best league in the country. I don't even think it's close. Yeah, and the fact that they're all going to one school is downright staggering and i think part of the reason i I guess we should talk about how this is happening and why is it happening like this and i think there's two reasons bill one i think that recruiting is inherently a popularity contest these kids know each other they're on tech strands they go to the opening together and they all dream about playing together and i don't know if it's real or not but they all dream about playing together and when they do dream about playing together, they dream about playing at Alabama, Clemson, Ohio State, and Georgia. I mean, that's just a fact. And during a pandemic year where you're not allowed to visit and do those things, I think it's a little bit easier for those guys to settle into places that are just the obvious answers because you know what you're going to get in that scenario. But two, I also think that it's easy to stack talent this way because kids know that if they go to a place that they don't end up getting the job at, that they can simply transfer to another school that they want, that they could have gone to as the easy way out or the hard way out, depending on how you look at it, and start their next year. So everybody has nothing to lose by going to the best possible place, giving it a year or two, taking a swing at it, getting developed, even if you're not playing, and putting yourself in a position to maybe start at quarterback or receiver at Ohio State. And if you don't, then you can always go and transfer and start at Purdue or start at the other places that you might have been able to go to during your college career if you were, or your high school career if you're ducking the competition. So with the ease in which transfers are going to be allowed now is completely changing the game on how these mega programs are going to be able to stack talent on their roster. Yeah, And I think that like it's one thing to empower the athlete to give them more of a potential to, to freely move, and I'm for that. But I also think it gives them more of a risk-free viewpoint on choosing colleges that have stacked depth charts because ease transferring without sitting out a year or transferring with a, the portal waiver situation is every bit as easy as committing to a program out of high school is now. Yeah, it makes it the, – the transfer rule that, that's not in place yet but probably will be in place by next year is makes it easier to accumulate talent, but it also makes it almost impossible to keep all those guys. So, like, it's a double-edged sword for a college, for the college program, but it's great for the players. I know, but if that college program was never getting players at this rate to begin with, then it's just back to normal and they get to pick the best ones. Yeah. Which is crazy. I mean, if, 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 if the – I saw a lot of, well, half of those players are going to be transferred out in a few years playing somewhere else. It's like, that's great. But that means that of all the names, Jack Miller, Jackson Smith, the Jigba, C.J. Stroud, Julian Fleming, Kyle McCord, Quinn Ewers, Garrett Wilson, maybe not Wilson, Mookie Cooper, because Wilson's already going to be in the NFL. Yeah. They get to pick all the ones that panned out Mm -hmm. the best. And you know what that means. (laughs) I mean, that's crazy. And then on top of it, they're going to sign the 2023 and 2024 five-star receivers, and it's going to be a non – it's just – they don't just shut the tap off. (laughs) I mean, this is like – there's been a higher separation between the top four programs in America and the rest of the, and, and it's getting worse and worse and worse 
and now you're stacking five-star quarterback on five-star quarterback, something that's only been done five times since 2000, and you're stacking enough five-star receivers in this in this recruiting I don't even know how they can play these guys, especially during a year where they're rotating the receivers the least amount they have in the last five years. Yeah, it makes me wonder like what the direction of this offense is. We're only in the second year of Ryan Day, so I don't, I don't think we can say we, we know. And maybe the answer is just he'll play to whatever his, his best personnel is. They're playing a lot with two tight ends right now, which, which we talked about before. 60 I'm working on a story 62 percent of Justin Fields targets have gone to Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson there's like really no rotation to speak of at receiver but that doesn't mean that there won't be next year when Fleming and G Scott and Mookie Cooper and Garrett Wilson and um everyone who's coming in in the 2021 class we, we assume Ibuka Jaden Ballard um Marvin Harrison Jr like they could they could get back to something like we saw in the urban years where they were playing like six guys at one time because they're going to lose some of these tight ends um but it is still crazy. It's like uh, people I, – I get comments and stories like that sometimes. It's like how, how does what's happening on the field now impact recruiting moving forward? And it's like does the fact that Chris Olave and Garrett Wilson are playing the bulk of the snaps, is that a turnoff for future five-star receivers? And the answer apparently is no. <laughs> well, the answer is no because they're looking at first-round draft picks. Yeah. You know, and if that's the ceiling when you're a five-star receiver, you, you view that as the ceiling. And I know that Ohio State's gotten – a lot of, of players since the 2019 class when Garrett Wilson signed, but Garrett Wilson was probably the most complete receiver Ohio State's ever ever signed. Maybe outside of, um, I don't know. I mean, who would you put in that? Trayvon Grimes might be the other one, but he's at Florida now, and boy, would that be fun if they played them in the uh, college football playoff. Yeah. Um, but other than that, like I think it was there's certain players when you sign them and you know this is going to be uh, a first-round pick, and he was one of them. So, you know, the fact that he's playing the most, it's almost like he's too good to take off the field, and I understand that. Um, but the crazy thing is, like, you you will be saying the same things about Jackson Smith and Jigba in a year. I think, I, I think he's that good. I think they're very yeah. similar skill sets. Yeah, but coming into the game, or coming into the college game, I knew we knew beyond the shadow of a doubt what Garrett Wilson was going to be. I think he was a more advanced recruit, and I know that's crazy to say because Jackson Smith and Jigbo had like 900 yards a game in Texas 5A football. So, like, I I know, um, and maybe so, maybe so. Um, I wasn't saying it to tell you I were wrong. It, I was saying it to underscore the fact. No, that no, I get you. <laughs> it, it's no, I get you. It, it is. It's crazy. And maybe Caleb Burton will show up from Texas the next year, and you'll have three first-round picks all from the state of Texas, which might bring us to our next point here, Bill, which is what would Ohio State do without Tom Herman? And it's not Tom Herman at Texas, the Tom Herman who created the Texas to Ohio pipeline in 2013 when he got J.T. Barrett. Yeah, J.T. Barrett, Demetrius Knox. um, um, Mike Mitchell. Mike Mitchell. Oh, yeah, Mike Mitchell. I forgot about the Mitchells. What a family. Yeah. Oh, man, someone should write a book about them someday. Um. And then it was like Jake. Well, the seventeen was when the, like the pipeline kind of took off. I actually had a question about that. So I'm curious what you think about this. We, I think I've written before and you've written before. We've certainly talked about before the the idea that Ohio State, since Urban has gotten here, has been really good about attacking recruiting fertile ground where the power in that area is sort of weakened. And they did it in Georgia. They've done it in Tennessee. They're doing it out west now. And at the time in 2017, it felt like that's what they were doing in Texas. But then eventually it would flip back. And then Tom Herman in 2018 actually did a really good job keeping the top talent in Texas. It just hasn't kind of carried over to subsequent years. 
Are you viewing what they're doing right now in Texas like still as an offshoot of that idea? Or is Ohio State just in Texas now? Like Ohio State is in Texas all the time. They're going to get. I these think guys Ohio all the time. State's just in Texas. Okay. Um, I don't know that. I don't know that I could reasonably predict that they're going to get two of the top three players every year, including the number one player in the state and the number two player in the country. <laughs> uh, that is pretty crazy. I do think that they um, put themselves in a position to attack when the programs were down in 2017. And, and look, Herman didn't get it to Texas till. November of 2016, so you can't even blame him for Ohio State getting three of the top six players in the 17 class. But I think at some point you turn the the attack mode that you went in for, the plan, um, into just the testimony of continuing to be there. And I think Ohio State now is in Texas because they can say, look, we have 10, 12 players who are from Texas since 2016 or 17 coming to it because that – even that doesn't even include J.K. Dobbins, which is the, the stat here is since 2017, Ohio State has signed seven or has either committed or will sign seven players that were five-star prospects in Texas. During the same span, Texas has four, and that doesn't even con- include J.K. Dobbins. So I think at a certain point, you just go look at how these Texas guys have come to the program. Uh, they came during a time when Texas was down, but now even if Texas is trying to get back up, you're still better off going to Ohio State because this has been the place that has taken these Texas boys and turned them into first-round draft yeah. picks. So, like, to me, I think at a certain point, based on branding, based on the positioning and the sport bill, Ohio State now, I think, could behave this way from a recruiting standpoint in any state in the country. And I know there's certain areas that you might not, like, want to bother with, like Louisiana. Mm-hmm. Houston is another one, even though it's in Texas. So Maybe the southern states in general. But, like, Ohio State's had success in Atlanta. They've had success in Georgia. They've had sex, success in Florida. They've had success, success. in Florida. Yeah. Um, I don't know what they've done in Florida, man. Uh, who knows? Um, ironically enough. But, um, man, they, they can do this everywhere. They've done it in California. They've now done it in Arizona. They're about to do it in Washington State. Seattle area like what area in the country would you say Ohio State can't do this in I think Louisiana or Houston might be the only two places yeah well that, and that that's what I think is is starting to feel or maybe it is already different with with all of this it's like before it was it was strategy like there there's an opening here let's go there there's an opening there let's go there now it just feels like they have footholds in all these places that they're yeah, never going to give if up they don't have footholds they can just go it's like they're in they're in at Bosco in California like they're in at um, what's the G Scott school? Eastside Catholic. Eastside Catholic, yeah, in Seattle, yeah. which is like they're in. They've it's kind of weird. Like they've they were in in a lot of places in Florida, and like now it seems like they're not there that much. It's like they've kind of migrated their plan a little bit. Well, because Florida used to be Ohio State's national state. It used to be it's like Ohio State didn't Ohio, recruit nationally; they just recruited Ohio and Florida. They just recruited <laughs> Ohio and Florida, yeah. And now it's just nationally, and Florida isn't worth the pain because Alabama owns Florida now. Yeah. And Miami's done a pretty good job in Florida, and you still have Florida State, and you still have Florida. You know, there's a lot going on in Florida, and Ohio State goes in and it gets its guys every now and then. But I feel like spending as much time in Florida as they used to isn't necessarily the best-case scenario when all of a sudden, too, you have all these, like, five-star prospects. If you even go back and look, like, they're two of the top ten players are in Seattle this year. Like, the population shift and where this talent is is kind of – 
changing a little bit. Maybe that'd be a good story for the a recruiting page. Like, why are the best players in the country popping up at new places from a geographical standpoint? Yeah, population, like demographic shifts relative to recruiting are fascinating. And I think if you dug in on that, you'd find a lot of really like Las Vegas. Is, I think is on is, gonna, yeah. is on the come up because I think more people are moving there. Um, and it's not just Bishop Gorman. I think like that area in general is going to have more high school football talent. Because everybody's leaving from everyone's California, California because yeah, the taxes are. California. Yeah, and that's, that's probably might be yeah. it might explain why Washington seems. Well, to everybody to wants to live in. California. No, no, right. Everyone wants to live there. Nobody can afford to live there. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, uh, I will live in Laguna Beach one day, and I don't care what anybody says. I think that's happening here too. And I, I've wanted to look into this, and I just haven't had the time to do it. But I was talking with Urban Meyer about this. A year ago, I just I, I wrote that story about like Northwestern and that old offense, and I was asking them some like bullshit questions afterwards. And we talked about the idea of like how much Columbus has changed in the last like ten years. It feels like there's more high level talent coming out of Ohio State's immediate backyard than there has been, and I think that's like like Columbus is one of the fastest growing of cities a, in the country. Yeah. And um, Urban made the point too that there's really good high school football coaching around here, and of course he would say that. I'm not saying it's not true, but I just think it's like. There are people moving here because Columbus is a good place to live, and there's a lot of jobs here, a lot of businesses based here, and because of that, the high school football talent pool is deeper in Ohio State's own backyard. How Amazon HQ3 will change the fortunes of whichever city it... I'd read that. (laughs) Do you think where Amazon's third headquarters is will turn into a... like? Let's just say, like, where could they put it um, that would turn a team that... Like, they put it in Reno, and then Nevada turned yeah. into being, like, one of the best <laughs> college football programs in America in 23 years. Like, where could they put it? Like, a desolate recruiting ground. Where Boise. Put it in Boise. Milwaukee. Ooh, Milwaukee. And then all of a sudden, like, Wisconsin turns into Bama. <laughs> <laughs> that could work. They should put it in Boise, Idaho, which is a great city. Um, yeah. Let the, I've never been there. I want to go there great, one day. Great city. One of my favorite cities. Um, let's get back to Tom Herman, because... He is has to be smashing his head into his desk, watching Ohio State benefit from the pipeline to Texas that he helped create that is now ruining his own Texas football program. So it sucks. It's hilarious. Um, it's hilarious. I mean, I guess it's hilarious, but it also sucks. I mean, because I mean, let me ask you this: If Tom Herman never existed at Ohio State, do you think they could be doing this? Like, how much credit do you give Tom Herman for starting it, and how? Or do you think another coach with Texas ties could have done the same thing had starting it in 2019? Yeah, I think it's like it's it's not like Tom Herman didn't didn't like rewrite the recruiting book by saying there's good players in Texas, let's go find them. But someone had to open the door, and it felt like he he was the one who did that. Um, but that's not to say I don't know. Like Ryan Day went down to Austin and got Garrett Wilson, and I don't know if getting Garrett Wilson out of Austin, who has like very strong Ohio ties. Um, had really anything to do with Tom Herman. So, like, Tom Herman started it, and I think Ryan Day and going to get Garrett Wilson kind of, like, took it to another level. And the the semantics of that and why that worked are different. Um, Tom Herman was going to get JT Barrett, who's very much a Texas kid. Tom or Ryan Day went to get Garrett Wilson, who was an Ohio kid who just happened to be living in Texas. But, like, the runoff from Garrett Wilson, I think, is leading to what we're seeing right now. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I wonder if the runoff from Okuda was the original Garrett Wilson. Yeah, Okuda, like Okuda got him in. And Dobbins. Dobbins, yeah, Dobbins is, Dobbins is like in the middle of nowhere. I've, I've been to LaGrange, Texas, and let me tell you, there ain't much going on there. So um, that's a program that like I fully expect Ohio State will probably never recruit there again. Um, and that was Tony Alford, I, I think, more than anybody got that done. 
Um, and Tom Herman. I know, but it's more about the testimony of what a Texas kid has achieved than it is about where they're from in Texas. But I, well, I guess what I was getting at is, do you think, um, like getting a Okuda, Okuda was Grand Prairie, which is like the Texas area, and Baron Browning was Kent, Kennedale, yeah. which is also the Dallas area, I believe. Like that, like having those, because like Texas is such a big, big state, it feels like getting a kid from Dallas matters to kids from Dallas, and getting a kid from Houston matters to kids from Houston, and getting a kid from Austin matters to kids from Austin. So I do think it's like getting Garrett from Austin open a door, getting Jeff and Baron from Dallas open some doors too. I think all that kind of pieces together and matters because it's like you're recruiting Texas. It's almost like you're recruiting three or four different states. Yeah. And I just also said that Houston is not worth going to, and they got the best offensive lineman in America out of Houston. Yeah, but he has – Donovan Jackson has Ohio ties too, right? Yeah, yeah, he does. But, I mean, he goes to high school and is recruited as a Houston prospect. So. And he's really good. You I know, said this not, before. I'll yeah. say it again. I was someone who I would – whose opinion I value said that Donovan Jackson is the best lineman in the country, regardless of class. Yeah. So I don't know, man, it's a, uh, it's kind of a tough uh, scenario for Herman and swallow. And, but I also feel like if he is the recruit recruiter who is responsible for opening the door and I find him to be a pretty good recruiter, uh, cause he hasn't done terribly at Texas. And also let's put, let me put it this way too. Based on what you just said, Texas can't be uh, expected to keep players home in their own state the same way you would expect Georgia to do it in Georgia or Ohio to do it in Ohio. There's too much geography. There's too many miles. And also there's too many programs. you got Texas. You've got Texas Tech. You've got TCU. A&M. You've got Texas A&M. Um, you have Baylor. Like, you have Houston. a lot of teams. Houston, SMU is recruiting the hell out of Dallas now. Like, you have a lot of teams and a lot of geography. And also every major program in America – Alabama is in Texas a ton. LSU is in Texas a ton because LSU is very close to Dallas. It's like six or seven hours away. Like Oklahoma is in uh, Texas. Mm. You know, everybody's in Texas. So I don't necessarily hold Herman to the same standard of if you don't get six out of the top ten kids in your state every year, you suck. And let's put it this way. Texas is the fifth most talented team in college football this year in the composite rankings. So he's not doing a terrible job from talent accumulation. I think this is frustrating. It's a bad look. You absolutely want to get yours because, listen, a quarterback who's the number two overall player in the class is more important than all the other ones combined. Uh, well, maybe not combined, but you, you get the amount of importance. Yeah. And they lost him, and that's a big loss, especially considering the fact that at one point they had him committed. So that's that, but I think the biggest problem at Texas is losing games they shouldn't lose. Ironically enough, if you want to go on a little tangent, I think it's possible that Texas could play their way into the fourth playoff spot this year. As a two-loss not Big likely, 12 champ. Not likely, but possible. I think if they win against Iowa State, that's another quality win. They go to the championship game or the Big 12 championship game, and they face an Oklahoma team who's rolling. And then they beat Oklahoma in the championship game. That avenges one of their losses, and they become a two-loss conference champion with only one loss. Because I think that you can erase one of the losses if you beat the team the second time around to show that like you're not the team that lost to them anymore. And yeah. if chaos ensues, I think it's possible the committee might take a two-loss Big 12 champion over a Cincinnati if those are the last two picks. So um, I, I know that like a month ago we were ready to say what casket is Herman's Texas career going to be carried out in here in the next few months. But if they beat Iowa State on Saturday um, 
and get that program rolling again. It's not as big of a dumpster fire in terms of perspective as we thought it was. But when you go back and you look at these these recruiting misses uh, and the fact that it's coming from a place that he probably despises at this point, it just it just sucks for him. Yeah, but it's great for Ohio State fans. Yeah, I mean, that's the people we're talking to. So, congrats, guys. I don't know. I never understood the uh, hatred of him from Ohio State fans. I don't know if it's the uh, affiliation or whatever was Zach Smith or the way he acted when he went to Texas um, or the Mensa stuff. I don't. I don't really know. But the guy helped you win a national title, and I think you should be forever grateful for anybody who played a key role in that. Yeah, and like the rooting for Texas to lose and taking enjoyment out of that, I've never understood because. He's never overtly said anything negative about Ohio State, has he, or done anything that would make you hate him? Publicly, I don't know. I'm sure there are people that would tell you that. I mean, do people think that he like is, is the reason why the Zach Smith stuff happened because he wanted to get Garrett Wilson? Like, is that the thing? I don't know. I, that people think. I, I don't think you'd have to search very far to find somebody who would tell you that's the case. Um, yeah, but I don't know if it is. Which also would have been worth it, completely, <laughs> by the way, because Garrett Wilson is amazing. And I tweeted this the other day on Saturday, saying. Of all the receivers that we've watched at Ohio State in the last 10 years, I think I would take Garrett Wilson. I've seen enough to take Garrett Wilson over all of them. Mm. The only one that you could make an exception for is Mike Thomas, but they didn't throw him the ball in college anyway, so it's hard to remember how good he was. Yeah, I think I agree with that. I don't know. Thomas is the only one I consider, for sure. Um, Olave? I don't know if I should say that. Just based off what they are in college, because I know Mike Thomas is really good in the NFL. He's the best receiver in the NFL. Based off they were, what they were in college, I'm not so sure I wouldn't go Wilson, Olave, Thomas. Yeah, I don't know if based on what they were in college. I mean, I think Thomas made the single best play of the last 10 years, um, which was that catch in the Alabama semifinal game. But I don't know that I recall a ton of Mike Thomas – wowness happening throughout the season because not through all the fault of his own they just didn't throw him the ball very much yeah i remember he was like the expert in taking 10 yard slant routes and turning them into 80 yard touchdowns like he did that a few times but in terms of like the body control and the ability that garrett wilson has through what only eight games as a true starter maybe something like that yeah i've seen more than enough to know that he's he's the most special athlete that they've had at that position garrett wilson and, and i tweeted a gif of this on Tuesday night, Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave like do things near the sideline and like near the back of the end zone that appear easy, and I promise you they're not. Like these, they're the body control and hands and concentration and the ability to catch the ball in traffic from both of them is exceptional. Um, and there have other there have been other guys like Michael Thomas. I think had that too, um, but I don't really know if anyone else at Ohio State has. Like Devin Smith was a great deep ball tracker for sure. Probably still the best that Ohio State's had. But in terms of like physicality at receiver, I think these three guys are the best. But the thing that's crazy about that is like Chris Olave is not a big dude. <laughs> like like Garrett, yeah. Garrett Wilson is well put together, but he's only six feet tall. But these guys play much bigger than they are because they don't shy away from physicality, and that's part of what makes them great. Yeah. I mean, I, I, what is the thing that you think that makes Chris Olave the best? Is it his speed? Is it his quickness? Is it his hands? Is it his knack for being open? Uh, is it physicality despite size? Like, what do you think um, is the thing that really sets him apart? I mean, his route running, he, I think. Um, he's so smooth, like in and out of breaks. Um, it's all very fluid. He changes speeds really well. I don't know. He's very, he's fast, like he's straight line fast. 
Garrett Wilson is, I think, more explosive than he is, probably like in and out of cuts and like jumping for the ball and stuff like that. But Olave, his ability to change speeds when he's running his route and and like put defenders on skates when he's running his routes, I think is is the most impressive thing about him. And he gets open a lot. I think I think he was like the most open receiver in college football last year in terms of like I don't know what stat they use to track it. It's like yards between him and, and the nearest defender. Um but even when he's not that open, he's still very good catching the ball in traffic for a guy who's like 180 pounds. Yeah. Man, I just wish that we could get them all on the field at once just in uh, two, some tour to two offensive linemen set with all seven receivers out there and just let it fly. <laughs> Victorinox, the makers of the original Swiss Army Knife, have been a reliable companion for life's everyday challenges, mastering functionality, innovation, iconic design, and uncompromising quality with its products. The Victorinox Swiss Army Knife provides you with all the things you don't think about until you need it tweezers, a screwdriver, and even a corkscrew. With the Victorinox Swiss Army Knife, you can be prepared to master everyday life. You can find Victorinox Swiss Army Knives at Dick's Sporting Goods. And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. You see this? A family watching baseball on DirecTV with no satellite dish in sight. Let's heckle them. You call that changing the channel? Choke up on the remote, buddy. I hope getting all these games on DirecTV makes up for your mother not pre-chewing your sunflower seeds. DirecTV has the most MLB games. Visit DirecTV.com. Claim based on total games offered on national and regional sports networks with choice package or higher. Availability of RSNs varies by zip code and package. High-speed internet service required. Terms and restrictions apply. Um, let's do a couple more points on recruiting before we wrap up. Um, yeah, I sent you like 15 points. Yeah, so let's do let's do these two. Um, do you think the 2022 class is going to end up being better than the 21 class? And the 21 class started off with a, with a pretty good bang, and there was a point where we thought that this was going to be the best class Ohio State's ever signed by average player rating, and it's it's a bit below 2017 at the moment. And very early on in 2022, with nine commits and a, and a lot of work to go, it's the number one class in the country. The average player rating right now is like a full point higher than Ohio State's was in 2017, more than a full point higher, which is crazy. Um, but they're very top-loaded early on here. But based off on how, on how this is progressing, do you think 2022 is going to end up being better than 21? Yeah, um the fact that they have the number two overall player in the country, I think, matters. And the thing that's interesting, too, is that they might end up doing that for back-to-back years if JT Tuamalau ends up going to Ohio State in 21. Um, I was talking to Trevion Henderson on the phone because I'm working on a story about recruits who are signing with programs they've never been to. And he said that he thinks 2022 um, is going to be better than 21, which I thought was interesting because he's in the 21 class. And I said, you think 21 is going to break the record? He said, I don't know if 21 is going to, but 2022 is going to. And, like, he was very confident of that. So, like, these kids know um, who is leaning which way and who's coming and going. And, you know, considering the fact that they've got two five-star prospects already out of Texas and, um, you know, more could be on the way, uh, I think it's really hard because this year's class, the 2021 class, is still going to probably top the 2017 class if they get the two Seattle kids. Yeah. So they're already on track in 2021 to sign the best class in Ohio State history as it pertains to average player ranking. So right now, that average player ranking in 2022 is off the charts, but part of the reason for that, Bill, is obviously because they don't have as many kids, and the kids that they do have are all ranked in the top whatever. So it's um, kind of a hard thing to 
guess at this point, but if I had to guess right now, based on the building blocks, I, I think it's hard to top what they're putting together right now in 21. But if Ohio State wants to sign 30 top 115 players in the two-year period, then just hand them the trophy. And that's the thing, too, because when Ohio State signed the 17 class, I said, and I wrote the column that day, Urban Meyer has to win a national championship with this team or it was a failure, or with this class or it was a failure. And it's ironic. And I also wrote that I didn't think Urban Meyer would leave till that class was gone because they were too good to not see through. Um, obviously, things happened that we didn't anticipate would happen. And Ohio State got to the edge of, of that. And part of the reason why Ohio State had one of the best teams in the history of its program last year was because of that 17 class. Now, imagine doing it two years in a row. Like, what kind of team are you going to have? Because you're going to have no holes. Because even with the 2017 team in the 2019 season – they were about as complete of a team as you possibly could be. They had holes in 18, and you know they were still contributors to that 17 class and the 18 class. But if you put together two 17 classes in a row, you shouldn't have a single freaking hole. And I think Ohio State is going to have a generationally good team in 2022 or 2023, and it's going to make 2020 look even worse, even though you can't imagine that. Well, they so, kind of did that. Like know, The 2018 class was... Not as good as 2017, but it was the number two class in the country, and it was the second best average player rating they've ever had. They had one, two, three, five star prospects in that class, um, and like a dozen top 100 players in that class. Yeah. So it's, yeah. it's not totally unheard of. I think this is. It's a, a half step further down the road, though. Yeah. Well, especially if you think that 20, because I actually think 22 is going to end up better than 21, because I think having the number one quarterback matters that much. Um, they have Kyle McCord in 2021, and he's really good. He's a five-star prospect, but he's not the best quarterback in the class. Um, and Quinn Ewers is, and I think there's always like a Pied Piper kind of thing that goes on with quarterback commits, high-profile prof- high quarterback commits, and you're seeing that already with Quinn Ewers, with Caleb Burton on board and, and Armani Winfield likely to join. I think that that commitment from Quinn Ewers is one that keeps paying dividends down the road and, and why this class will ultimately be better than 21. Yeah, who was the 2018 quarterback? Baldwin? Uh, it was originally Emory, right? Emory Jones, um, and it ended up being Matt Baldwin. Yeah. So the fact that you're replacing the quarterback of the 18 class with, um, the number two player and the number one quarterback in the country from Texas, I think, is a huge deal. And to your point, that's correct. Um, the thing I I want to know is, are you surprised? Um, and I know that Ryan Day's reputation precedes him, and. He's an offensive guru and all the things that everybody likes. But are you surprised that Ohio State has accumulated this much talent at quarterback and receiver and it never really has done it to the same extent on defensive line when really defensive line should be the the position that this program's known for because of what Larry Johnson's done with the Bosa brothers and Chase Young? Like It seems to me that like um, putting 19 quarterback and receivers together in the same room is, is an insane stat. Maybe that's a testament to Brian Hartline's proficiency as a recruiter. But there seems to be other positions where this could be happening, and it's not. Yeah, I think it's just a little cyclical. It's like I, I think for a time it was like Larry Johnson was – and he's still very good. I don't mean to say this disparagingly. Um, I just think he's – I think what he's done with defensive ends has now gotten overshadowed a little bit by what people think Ryan Day is going to do with quarterbacks. So – it's surprising. I don't a little bit. I don't know. I, I don't think it's a bad thing. Like they got um, Jack Sawyer, who is local, um, which is a fair point to point out. But like, if Larry Johnson gets JT to him a low out, then like Larry Johnson still got the juice. You know what I mean? So I don't say that he's not having the juice. I just mean stacking them in an absurd way. I think like the guy's getting guys. He's getting guys. I'm not saying he's not getting guys. I hope people don't take it that way. 
I just meant that there's like seven five star receivers on this roster now. I think I think two things. One, if you asked, um, I don't know, if you asked fifty high school defensive linemen, where do you think you're going to go to get developed the best? You might get like ten to fifteen different answers. Um, and if you ask the top quarterbacks, where do you think you're going to go to get developed the best? You might get like three answers, and one of them is Ohio the State three, right now. Oklahoma, Ohio State, and who's the third? Like Clemson, probably. I guess Alabama's in that territory yeah, now, too, so you maybe get four answers. Yeah. Um, and then the receivers follow the quarterbacks, I think is, is what explains it. Yeah. Yeah, looking back at the 2018 class bill, they have uh, Nicholas Petit, Teron Vincent, Tyreek Johnson, Jalen Gill, and Tyreek Smith are the top four or five players there, but only three five-star prospects, and two of which have not panned out yet. Uh, maybe Vincent will get there, but I think Johnson, based on the circumstances that Ohio State has um, at uh, in the second you know, that position, yeah. and what you know, it seems to me that it's his time has come and gone. So I, I, I just think that there's a look at what's going on in between these two things there's a pretty crazy difference between what happened in 17 and 18 and what's happening right now it definitely feels different and it feels like there's I mean, we'll see what Ohio State does this year Ryan Day got to the playoff in his first year with a very talented team that was sort of left to him and that he's building it in this way is very impressive because I think that was everyone's biggest concern right can, can he carry the baton forward and recruit in the same way Urban did and the answer is not only yes but in some ways it's better um but all that means is the expectations to win a national championship become higher or more urgent when you're signing classes like this. So, like the last the last point you texted over to me to talk to about talk about with this is between the 21 and 22 classes, would it be a letdown if Ohio State doesn't win a national championship with them? As like could be the case with 17 and 18, and like I think that's an emphatic yes, right? Yeah, I do. Yeah, I mean, I think if Ohio State doesn't win a national championship with these two classes in 23 or 24. I, I don't know. I will have. I will go on record and say I will rethink my stars. Thought. Wow! Cause, wow! I mean, like <laughs> it's just you know. I, I mean, I would never do that, but you know, you know how it is. I just like think that it's an important discussion distinction to realize like why Ohio State is what it is, and if you like look through not only the success they're having nationally, but the total amount of talent that they're bringing. They're bringing enough talent in their own uh, realm. Uh, to prop up an entire conference and it's on one roster and maybe it will prop up other conferences in the long term when these teams transfer and the the leftovers who don't make the starting lineup don't play but that's how it is okay let's wrap up with this because you um as i'm sure people are aware by now you you're doing more national recruiting stuff it's kind of your your thing now so you are more in tune with this than i am Ohio State, as I said earlier in this episode, is pretty well done, I think, in the 21 class, but there are a couple of big names still out there that are waiting to get. We know who they are. When this class is like done and in the books, do you think Ohio State's going to finish with the number one class in 2021? I do. I did. I played around with the calculator uh, this week, and I got this on a mailbag question that I was doing, and my predicted, based on who is leaning where, and what I think is going to happen, the predicted finished, I think, would be one Ohio State, two Alabama, three LSU, four Georgia, five Oregon. And this is me playing with the 247 class calculator and, like, putting players into classes that I think. And I and in this scenario, I gave Ohio State both the Seattle kids. So, yeah. you know, as it pertains to where I predict things will turn, I'm predicting those two things, but we don't know for sure that that's going to happen. 
I gave LSU Foreman and Mason Smith and, and Tristan Lay, and they finished at third still. So that made me feel good about Ohio State and Alabama's chances of, of finishing one and two. Because you, you, you um, thought a couple weeks ago, you and I talked about this, or maybe it was last week on one of the Google shorter Google podcasts we do, and you said you thought LSU had a shot to be number one, right, when it was over? They did. I thought they did. But you also have to take, take into account there's six uncommitted five-star prospects right now, and four of them are, are considering LSU. I mean, if they get the number one player in the class, the number 18 player in the class, and the number 11 player in the class, and then they might end up with Kamar Wheaton, too, who's a five-star prospect out of uh, running back out of the Dallas area. Like, LSU might add four five-star prospects to their roster between now and then, and if they add the fourth one, they might be in position to do that. But Ohio State um, and Alabama, I think, just have too much, and especially considering the fact that, like, Alabama might get Toon Mache Adelaide, and that was the former Ohio State commit who's a f- the highest-rated non-five-star player in the class. Like, there's too much still out there for Bama or Ohio State to add on top of what LSU is doing. So, the, and, and on should top be a good of that, finish. On top of that, too, like, I, I don't think – I probably in the end don't think this is going to happen, but I still think it remains a possibility that they could flip Rayshon Davis from LSU. Yeah, I mean, that seems to be a case. I didn't put him in the calculator, but if that happens on top of the other two, then it's over. Yeah. That Yeah, that seals it up. But even if you got – if you get JT and Emeka and Buka um, – that kind of seals it up too, and I like I, I think I've said this before, which is crazy because they have a smaller class. Yeah, that'd be twenty-two commitments. It would be pretty crazy to win the overall recruiting crown and the average player crown with only twenty-two commitments. Yeah, that's that's actually. Well, I think of, the average player, it's it's easier to have the average player with less commits because you've got less. No, yeah, of course, yeah, yeah, and that was yeah. like their class in seventeen was smaller too when they set that set that record for the average yeah. player. But like I don't. I hadn't I hadn't thought of that, but that's something that people should like look back through past classes and like truly appreciate that for what it is. If you have twenty two commitments and you have the number one class, your class is awesome. <laughs> like your yeah, class is absurdly good <laughs> because that's how teams win the recruiting title. They just sign twenty seven guys and the points add up, and that's like that's what Florida set the record I think with twenty eight commitments in t- two thousand ten, and it was a good class. But having twenty eight helped because it's a, it's an accumulation thing at, at a certain point. Um, to get the number one with twenty two would be, I don't know. I mean, it had it's it's the best class that Ohio State would have signed just like on paper. But doing that, pulling that off, goes a step beyond that. That's a that's a level of talent accumulation we've not seen here ever. I'm yeah. It, there's nothing really else to say about it. It's just it's absurd. Except for go Bucks. You don't want to say it with me. Nah, I'll let you take it. Okay, that. thanks, man. Go Bucks. You're the beat writer. Yeah. You know, uh, <laughs> somebody called me a homer in a story I wrote because I didn't mention Notre Dame in a story that had nothing to do with Notre Dame. Um, <laughs> people sometimes. Sometimes these comments, <laughs> man. I just, I don't even. I used to get so worked up, and I just like I'm, I'm mellowed out now. No Twitter beefs in like four months. I'm done with that crap, and you know, just kind of living the dream. Yeah. Okay, let's wrap up. I gotta go uh, to the Ohio State basketball season opener because college basketball is happening. That snuck up on everybody. Um, thanks for listening to this episode of Four to Six with A and B. If you liked what you heard, we'd appreciate it if you can go to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five star review. You can also leave questions there for future mailbag episodes, and we'll get to those down the line. Ohio State plays Illinois on Saturday. By the way, uh, it's a thirty point spread. Oh, they are. Yeah, it opened as thirty. I actually, think it came down a little bit to something like twenty eight or twenty nine. Um, we didn't give a game pick. You think Ohio State's going to win? Um, here's my game pick. 
Uh, 55 to 17, because I want to run back last week's. Okay, I'll say uh, 62 to 14. Buckeyes. Go Bucks. Go Bucks. We'll talk about whatever happens on Saturday uh, on the next episode. And we'll, we'll dive more, I think, into the 21 class, too, as we get closer to, to National Signing Day, which is just a couple weeks away. So thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you guys next week. Thank you.